Gangs Road down in Baton Rouge with um, Maisie graduated from LSU yesterday. Quite an accomplishment. Corey. Hmm? Oh. oh, he's in Kids Church. That's quite a, he had a uh, bachelor's degree in um, graphic design. That's an accomplishment. We've got some very talented people in this, in this place. Stephen, you're our, that's our international recording artist, Stephen Dickerson. See, <laughs> uh, I've got probably more scriptures than I've ever used in my entire life. I'm, I've thought about hiring somebody to just come up here and read them, and then I'll preach them. Anyway, in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter is where I'm going to be at. The Shunammite woman, one of my favorite people in the Bible. Because that woman knew how to keep her cool. She knew how to sow. She loved God. She, she, and, and, and God showed up for her. He did. He showed up for her multiple times. So I want to read this. Let's go. Now it happened one day, Elisha went to Shunem. That's why they call him the Shunemite woman. She's from Shunem. I'm a Castorite. I'm from Castor. <laughs> Where there was a notable woman and she pursued him to eat some food. Huh? Persuaded. Him to eat some food. So it was often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Evidently, she was a good cook. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and the, talking about the roof, it's upper, the wall, the roof, same thing. And let us build a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. I've preached this before, and those four things all have huge significance on what, why it was in this room. But I'm not doing that today. I'm, I'm preaching on something different. But there's so, this, this passage of Scripture is just so rich, you could preach it every day and come up with something different. It's just it's rich, rich, rich. Lampstand, so it could be whenever he comes, he can turn in here. In other words, when he comes by, we'll feed him, we'll, we'll put, give him a place to stay, right? And so the husband agreed, and it happened one day that he came there, he turned in an upper room, and lay down there. Then he said to Jehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he, and she, and he said to him, say to her... See, that's a whole other message right there. Look, you have seen concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on behalf of the king or the commander of the army? This guy has some clout. Follow me? She answered, I dwell among my own people. What then is to be done for her? And Yahweh answered, Actually, she has no son, and her husband is old. In other words, he's old. He needs some help working in the field. So, 
So he called her. When he'd called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, about this time next year, you'll embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, which Elijah had told her. And the child grew, and it happened that one day he went out with his father to the reapers, the fields, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. She didn't lay him on her bed, did she? She laid him on the man of God's bed. Then, then she called her husband and said, please send one of, one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to see him today? It's not neither a new moon or a Sabbath. She said, it is well. Chill. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She was very bossy. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her far off that he said to his servant Jehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, It is well, is it, it, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? What, oh, is it well? Now the woman, she came to the man of God at the hill. She caught him by the feet. She tackled him like she's going to tackle. So he grabbed him around his ankles and his feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone for her soul is in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me. God didn't tell him what happened. So she said, did I ask a son of you, my Lord? Oh, that's a bold woman. You hear me? She goes up to the, the prophet of God, said, did I ask you for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? You're, you've deceived me. You're... She was upset. She was calm with everybody else. But when she got to the guy that, to get something done about it, she was extremely aggressive, wasn't she? Because none of the other people could have helped her with a problem, but the man of God could, and so she got, she got bossy with him. I'm not letting you go till you do something. I didn't ask for this child. I told you don't deceive me. This is your problem now. Am I wrong? Is that, is that? okay? Go to the next one. Then he said to Jehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if you, anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the boy, of the child. Next. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives... And as, I, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. 
So he arose and followed her. Now Jehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was not, neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet them and told them, saying that the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was a child lying on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind them, and the two of the, behind the two of the door. In other words, stay out of here. I can handle this. So he shut the door, and there by himself with the boy. 34. And he went up, and he lay, his, lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his head and so forth, so forth, so forth. Then the child became warm. Next. He returned and walked back and forth in, in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on the child. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Jehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. And she picked up her son and went out. That's a lot, right? There's a lot can be said about this, this passage of Scripture. But I want to go through it kind of just, just, just look at a few things, you know. Um, when at the beginning of this chapter, she didn't ask anything of Elisha. Not one thing did she ask. As a matter of fact, all she did was try to help him. She wasn't trying to get anything out of the man. She just knew he was a holy man. And so she just told him, hey, whenever you come by, whenever you come this way, just come by here and I'll cook for you. My husband and I love God and we know you're God's man and we want to just help you out sow some seeding you know that's that's what happened so it wasn't she wasn't trying to get something from him she was trying to get something in him she was trying to help him she was trying to sow a seed into his ministry so people don't understand how powerful that is i promise you if y'all have not helped some of these guys get to africa do it there's power in sowing a seed. You never know how big the harvest is, right? This woman cooked and built a little bitty room on her house and got a son out of it. You never know how big your harvest is. Your harvest is not determined by you. It's determined by God. It's the amount of the sacrifice, sometimes not the amount of your seed, but the hurt of your sacrifice if, if it doesn't cost you something it's really not a seed but she wasn't trying to get anything but her and her husband sowed into his ministry then he goes to the 16th verse and says you're going to bear a son about this time next year don't you lie to me is that what she said? Yeah. Do not lie to me. It, so what I'm saying is she never asked for anything. Her faith had nothing to do with the child. She said, no, 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 no I'm good. We just want to help out. And, and she had good intentions. But 
I'm telling you, when you sow a seed, there's going to be a harvest. It, 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 it's, a, it's a law. It's a spiritual law. It's how I live my life. Every area of my life, I live it the same way. You sow and you reap. It's, 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 it's simple to me. It took a long time for it to get simple, but it is now. Anyway, she said, you'll bear a son, but the kid died. Little boy died. We don't know how old he was. We don't know if it was a heat stroke or a brain aneurysm. We have no idea. It doesn't matter how he died. It matters how he lived, right? And she went and she laid that child on whose bed? The prophet's bed. The holy man. She laid him on his bed. In his room. Where he rested. Where he prayed. Where he, everything that, that's what he did. If you notice in the scripture, she didn't walk, ever walk into that room. She always stood at the door. She never went in. You know why? That's his room. We built that for him. It's his room. She never once walked into that room. It's recorded in scripture. It specifically says twice she stood outside. And stood at the door. So, Laid him on the prophet's bed. Can you imagine not being able to bear a child your entire life and then you have one and then that child dies in your arms? I could not imagine that. And the calm. What kept her so calm that she didn't cry, she didn't get upset, she just went, she, she had a plan. I'm going to put this kid on the prophet's bed, I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to go and I'm going to find him. Right? That's all she, What was she looking for? She was looking for a miracle? No. She was looking for the anointing. There was nobody else on the planet that could have done anything about that. Because it was the anointing. Isaiah 10, 27, I think it is, says, says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's the anointing. And that's what she was looking at. Because he was the only anointed man in Israel. He was the guy. He was the prophet. He's the guy God spoke to. Elisha was one of the, the, the flashiest Prophets, you know, when he when Elijah died and they cast down that mantle and said you get a double portion of that anointing. Oh, there it is again. So when he walked across the, the creek, he just took that mantle and he popped it on the ground and he said, Where is the God of Elijah? And the creek dried up. He walked across on dry ground. He was flashy. He was powerful. He was he and and, and he was a little bit eccentric. If you really study his life. Most, most men and women of God that, are, that do great and mighty things, most of them are pretty strange. The Bible calls it peculiar. It's right. It's right. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be peculiar. Anyway, so she, she, when she took off and she went and she found him, she walked right past Jehazi. Jehazi's useless in this whole process. She ain't going to let Jehazi do nothing. Elijah had faith in Jehazi, but she didn't. She said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
Jehazi didn't give me a son. It was you. Jehazi doesn't have the anointing of God on his life. You do. He's useless in this whole process. She didn't even acknowledge him. It's crazy. So anyway, she went and she grabbed him, just tackled him. Okay, I'm not letting go. And he gave Jehazi specific instructions. She said, I don't, don't talk to him. You're coming with me, buddy. I'm going to latch on to the anointing and I'm not letting go of it until it gives me what I need. Come on, man. Oh, come on. I'm preaching better than y'all are listening. <laughs> At least I thought it was. Listen to this. <laughs> she quoted herself. She went back to exactly what she said. She said, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. She said, no, don't lie to me. Don't deceive me. Right? She didn't cry out to God. Not one time did it mention her prayer or going to a priest or, or any of the things that a church person would have probably done. Okay? She went to find the anointed man of God because she understood the anointing because she had spent time with him. She knew there, there was an anointing there that nobody else on earth had. She, had. she had to have that. She didn't go on a fast. She didn't even pray. She just knew she ran towards the anointing. And we've got people running away from it. It's totally different now than it used to be. I mean, I've got... Man, when I, when I first got saved, I chased after every holy man I knew, just trying to find, learn something. I didn't know anything. Man, I mean, and then it got to the point where God was trying to show me some, and I learned a lot. And God gave me some mentors that he wanted me to have. Now, I was just going here and there and here and there. But he put mentors into my life that shaped and molded me into what I am. And now people come to, to me for the anointing. I'm not trying to brag because the anointing is it's free. There's a, cost, there's a price, but it doesn't cost you any money. It only costs time, which is the most valuable thing as a human being you have is time. It's not money. It's not, I can't get back what I just said 30 minutes ago because it, it'll, it's, it's always going towards the end. It's never going back towards the beginning, is it? It's always going past. Time passes by. Constantly passes by. And uh, so anyway, I want to talk about the anointing. I, I, I use this to show how, how powerful and how important that it was and that this woman recognized it. You need to recognize the anointing when you see it because the devil will put a fake out there for you. The anointing's got to be real. If, if you're not seeing miracles, it ain't God. I'll say it again. If you're not seeing miracles in your life and the life of the people around you, it, it's not God. How many miracles do we see Friday? A bunch. You know why? They recognize the anointing and they pull up on it. This woman recognized the anointing and she pulled upon it and it saved her son's life. 
The anointing can break that yoke of bondage. There's nothing the anointing can't do except bad. It can't do bad. It can only do good. This is this. I, I touched on. I t- I, actually, I'm just going to touch on this because I preached a good bit about it last week. The Jewish people were the only people to be actively looking and pursuing the Messiah. They're the only group of people on earth that were looking for Jesus. They were the only people on earth that were looking for the Messiah. Do you know what the meaning of Messiah is? The anointed one. They were looking for a King David. They were looking for a warrior to relieve them from the Roman rule that they were under. They thought he was going to come back and just kick some tail, you know? But they forgot what the meaning of the man's name, of the Messiah was. They should have been looking for the anointing. They should have been looking for a man. They should have been looking for the anointing because the anointing, the anointed one is the Messiah. That's how you know. God gave them very easy instructions, and, and, and they were the only people on earth looking for him, and they didn't recognize him because it wasn't what they thought it should be. This, this guy is out of the line of King David, but there isn't nothing in him that's tough. They were wrong. They found that out on Good Friday. He was tough as nails. They didn't even recognize it. Why? During tithes and offerings, talked about the turning the water into wine. How does Jesus honor his mother when he disobeys her? He didn't. He said, woman, well, I ain't got nothing to do with these people. Not my problem. So what did she do when he said, it's not my problem? She turned from him, walked to his servant and said, you do whatever he says. He never got up. He never touched a bottle of water, never touched wine, never touched the jars. He didn't do anything. That's how he honored his mother. He told somebody else to do it. He, he, he took that authority and put it on them and said, y'all go do this. You ever thought about that? Everybody says, well, he, 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 he dishonored his mother. No, he didn't dishonor her. He honored her. He did what she asked without ever getting up. He gave somebody else the authority to do it for him. Mm, boy, come on, people. Uh, Stephen, get up here. I want to hit you. <laughs> anyway, in, in Luke 4, in, in Luke 4, Jesus, Jesus went to the temple and, and, he, and, he, and he was preaching, well, not preaching, but reading. They do a lot of reading in Judaism. And so he was reading the prophet Elijah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Hey, next. Next. The Spirit of the Lord is mine. I knew I was going to say it. Because he has what? Anointed. Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he went and he sat down, uh, went and he put the book back, and he went, and before he sat down, he said, oh, by the way, this day, this property is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, I'm the guy he's talking about. I'm who Isaiah was talking about. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Set at liberty the captives. Set, set the captives free. All those things. And then what happened? The 21. Computer froze. Okay, I'll tell you what happened. Because I'm, I'm, I, I get brain free sometimes, but it's not now, so I can tell you what it is. <laughs> he said... These guys are standing around. He's in Nazareth, right? That's where he was brought up. That's where he played Little League Baseball and all that other stuff, you know, and that's where he played. He was a kid. He grew up there. He had friends there. I mean, you know, that's where he's from. And so people watch this. What did, did, what did he say? That he's the guy they he's talking about. Isn't that Mary and Joseph's boy? Read it. It's up there. And said, Isn't that, is, that, is this not Joseph's son? The guy that struck out with the bases loaded only two runs down? And he's, and he's the, I'm just trying to put it in terms where we can understand it because they saw him as a, they saw him growing up. They saw him, they saw him strike out. They saw him at home run. They, they, they saw him fall down and cry. And, and they, they, he was just another kid to them in their eyes. And then if you read, he moved. He left there and went to Capernaum. It's, it's right behind the scripture. It's right behind it. And so then he left. He said, bye. Not one miracle in Nazareth where he was from. He left. Went to Capernaum. People received him. And my pastor taught me this. Before I left this other church, before we started this church, my pastor told me three months before I actually left the church, he told me, he said, it's time for you to get out of there. He said, you need to go. He told, told, me, told me this story. He talked about Jesus. And he said, he said, Paul, he said, you need to go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. He said, those people hate your guts. Most of them. He said, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. And don't ever care what anybody thinks about you. Care what God thinks about you. And that's how I just, that's how I just tried to live my life after that point. But anyway, he, um, Jesus was in the temple. He said, he's anointed me. He also, he came to destroy the works of the devil and give us the power to do the same thing. To give us communication with the Father and a way to spend eternity with God. He was not there to free Rome, free Israel from Roman rule. They never could get that out of their... their the Romans didn't even execute him. What did Pilate say? I find no fault with this man. This is on you guys. We all want a stronger anointing in our life. Amen? Amen. I mean, who wants a stronger anointing? I know I do. My gosh, I, I love it. I'm addicted to it. It's a, more addictive than methamphetamines. I'm telling you. 
Cocaine ain't got nothing on the anointing. I'm telling you, when you get in that, when you get in that vein and you start working and God starts showing you things and starts doing things, uh, there's nothing like it. Absolutely nothing. I live my life for that moment, for that time. But the thing is, I'm not anointed just for a small amount of time. You're supposed to be anointed all the time. But when a problem arises and you've got that anointing to fix it, it's going to come out. It ain't going to come out for somebody that's not anointed to fix it. T.L. Osborne told me, T.L. told me so much, but he said this one thing. He said, he said oh, I, I can tell this. There's a back story. I went with him and, and I didn't have anything to do. So the first day I went out and I, I stood in an in a intersection and I handed out flyers. And, you know, it was soot all over me. I, I, um, I was black, to totally black. My clothes were ruined. I had to throw them away. I, had, you know, I mean, I was, it was bad. Bad. It was, it was just coughing all the time. It was, it was rough, you know. I was in Ghana, in Africa. And uh, Accra, Ghana. And uh, so I didn't know it, but T.L. saw me walking through there, all sooted up, you know, and, and he said, who is that? The guy said, I think that's a gray guy. He said, okay. So I go in to eat dinner that night, and T.L. had me sit with him. And all these pastors, these big churches, man, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, oh, hey, thanks, man. Made me feel important, you know. And he said, you know, every person in this room has one thing in common. They all want a stronger anointing. He said, but they're not willing to get dirty enough to get it. You are. And he said, he explained himself. He said, everybody wants a stronger anointing. He said, but they don't want a pro the problem that comes with the anointing. I said, I don't understand. He said, wherever there's a problem, there's an anointing right there where the problem is, to get it fixed. He says, so every, every time you see a problem, jump right up in the middle of it, and you're going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. He said, standing in a pulpit and preaching is not going to make your anointing get any stronger. Meeting the needs of people is the is is assignment of the anointed. It's an assignment. Ah. To get these anointings, deliverance, world evangelism anointing, whatever the anointing is, and there's multiple anointings that can be on your life. We were at uh, Men of Courage Thursday, and... Uh, a guy gave his testimony, and the guy ended up, the guy has stage four liver cancer, and that was his testimony, you know. I feel so, so bad for him, you know, and his family's a young guy and everything. So he left, and he was going out the back door, and I said, hey. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry to hear about that. I said, but, you know, this ain't over. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, and he turned around and walked off. That was a mistake. Because that's when I grabbed him. I said, no, we're going to pray right here. In front of all these men, 
We're standing in the back, and I'm praying. Well, I mean, I'm anointing strong. He starts to, to fall, and I knew if he fell down, I'd be, get run out of there. And so, you know, so I'm kind of holding him up, you know, and, and, and everything. And, and it was there. It was there. And then a, a man I, that I know and respect, he's just not, doesn't know. He, anyway, he said, Paul, come here. He said, you know that that guy, you heard he said he's got stage four liver cancer. I said, yeah. He said, there is no stage five. I said, I know. I said, I've seen hundreds of stage four cancer patients live to be a ripe old age. I said, it's always God's will to heal. He just kind of looked at me, and he didn't say anything else. But, you know, I mean, we're friends. He didn't want to say anything to, you know. He was actually trying to help me, but anyhow. And then at the end, they bring these guys up, and, and we all pray for them. It was good. Everybody got down there, and they prayed for the man, and, and it, was, it, was, it was great. Great, great. The guy preached a great message. Uh, it was good. It was good. Um, but... For some reason, I'm, st I'm sticking on this thing. That healing anointing, healing anointing, healing anointing. It's just, first of all, you've got to know that Jesus isn't trying to teach you a lesson by giving you some bad disease. He's a loving Father. And if you think that He put this sickness on you, you'd be out of the will of God and it's direct sin if you prayed for healing. You'd be praying against the will of God, wouldn't you? Yeah. So to be easier, let's just say, Father, if it be thy will, heal this man. Well, that's contrary to the word. God can't get behind that either. It's not his word. It doesn't matter if they got stage 12 liver cancer. I don't care whatever it is. The Bible says that Jesus wants to heal this man. I have a healing anointing. It's my job to get in front of every sick person I can possibly get in front of. That's what, I, that's what I do. The last piece of advice T.L. ever gave me, he grabbed me and he, and he shook me. And he said, you're a healer, just go heal people. And he understood I knew that God does the healing. And, that, you know, we, we all know that. I'm, but I just want to tell you that there's so many different anointings. One's not more important than the other. You hear me? It's not. It's just like this church operates differently. You know, you, what happens in churches is people try to jockey to get in position, get, to get higher, you know, and everything, you know, because they want to get next to the pastor or they want to get next to the administrator or, or whoever it is. We don't have that problem here because nobody in here is more important than anybody else. Amen. I'm not more important than my friend Roger. I'm not more important than, than Lisa. CJ's not more important than Logan. We're all the same. But if we chase after that anointing as a group, that corporate anointing gets so strong, you've got to have a good relationship with each other to have a corporate anointing that affects the world. Not one man can do it. Not five men. It takes a bunch of people in agreement, loving each other, 
working in their anointing to change things. That's the way the anointing works. It's just, you know, if, if Jesus was the only one that was anointed and he healed every sick person he run into, you know, if they had, hey, hey, I, I, is that Jesus? I can't see Jesus. Heal me. Okay. Cool. Name somebody in the Bible he turned down healing for. Paint because it ain't in there. Good. Do y'all got Acts 19? Did I put that one in there? Yeah, bring that up. This is, this is pretty cool. We all know where the anointing comes from, correct? It can only come from one place. And that's God. That's the only place it can come from. It can't come from anywhere else. It comes from God, correct? However, God gives us some liberty with the anointing. Now, God worked unusual, in other words, peculiar, miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, our aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the disease left them and evil spirits went out of them. I could, they would take stuff like this and, and get Paul to pray for it. Paul, you pray for that? And they'd take it back, my, maybe, maybe three week walk back to where they came and put that on sick people and they were healed. So the anointing can be transferred, what I'm saying. Amen. It comes from God, but it can be transferred through objects and the laying on of hands. So what we have to do is realize that this is not a pipe dream. This is not a hope. This is not a wish. When we pray, we've got the power. We've got the anointing. We've got the ability. We've got the authority to see people healed and made whole. God wants you in good shape because, you know what? you got a big job. I I better shut this or I'll just keep going. There's nothing, nothing more fun to me than, than praying for people. It just, it, it, it just tickles me to death. I don't know. I mean, because I know that, what, that the Jesus in me wants to reach the person outside of me. Does that make sense to you? That Jesus in you wants to reach the person outside of you. When you die, you are no longer an asset to the kingdom of heaven because you can't bring anybody to the Lord. You can't, do, you can't operate in the anointing. You're dead, right? You're in heaven, that's great and all, but you can't add anything to the kingdom. We need to be totally worn out when we get to heaven. We've only got a short period of time. And like I said, it passes by. You never catch up with it. But it, it will catch up with you. Like I said the other night, was it? I think, I think I did. I said, live 
like there's no tomorrow because one day you're going to be right. Chase the anointing. Try to get it stronger. How do we do that? If you want a healing anointing, find every sick person you can and you pray for them. Because there's anointing there to heal. Who's going to pick it up? There's anointing with every single problem. Who's going to pick it up? Who's going to pick it up? Stand up. Just stand up. I'm... How many of you want a stronger If you want a stronger anointing, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Father, I thank you for the anointing. I thank you that it's alive, that it's powerful, that it flows. It's flowed from the days of Elijah up until now, and it's stronger today than it's ever been, or ever, and tomorrow it will be even stronger. Father, we thank you for the anointing that breaks that yoke of bondage, that brings people to Christ, that heals the sick, brings deliverance to the captives. Father, that anointing that Jesus was talking about in Luke 4, Father, it's ours Today, this is fulfilled in your ears. That the people in this room, Father, they, they carry Jesus inside of them so that what Luke said about Isaiah, said it about Jesus, it applies to you. And as we come together as a group, that corporate anointing gets stronger and greater works than these shall you do. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the Holy Ghost and the anointing, Father. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If anybody needs, needs, needs uh, prayer, come down, come down, come down.